The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Please visit pod617.com to learn about our podcast production services and view our full lineup of shows. I like the, the, the anticipation, I guess that was it, the anticipation of what might happen. He was almost a godlike figure. He's a baseball god. He was a beauty to watch. His swing was a work of art. His bat being the brush and Fenway Park is the canvas. He was obsessed with hitting. He was so focused. And when you're that focused, you can't really be a great husband. When you're that focused, you're not really a great father. He actively concealed that he was Mexican-American. Ted Williams' parents never saw him play a single game of Major League Baseball. He had a boiling anger. The world hates me, everybody's against me, and I'm gonna show them. He said in order to hit 400, he says you gotta be loose. When he walked in the room, even if you didn't know one thing about baseball, you'd say, that's somebody, who's that? You know, sure, there's a short list of athletes in America who you could t- say that have had a storied career. And in terms of voluminous documents written on them or voluminous stories told about them, and I think maybe Joe DiMaggio's on that list. I think Sandy Koufax might be on that list. Of course, Babe Ruth's on that list. Jane Levy's writing a, a new book about him that's coming out in September. Are we oh, sticking to baseball? We're, t- we're sticking to baseball okay. at the moment. And there's another guy. Yes, you like the foreshadowing. You learned that at Harvard. There's another guy that, of course, has to be at the top of the list. Can you take a guess who that is? Uh, Ted Williams. Oh, you are good. (laughs) You are good. There's a reason why she's here, Dave, isn't there? Number nine, the thumper, the splendid splinter, Ted Williams. The kid. The kid, yes. There's so many nicknames. That tells you that you're good, too. If you have a lot of nicknames? Yes, yes. It's 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 a mark of distinction or right. many marks of distinction. I only had one nickname, but we can't get into that right now. <laughs> Topic for another time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll be devoting a whole show oh, to yeah, John's course. nicknames. Peter Perel's nicknames. But the yes. guy on the line with us right now, we're very happy to have him on the meter is running, is a guy by the name of Nick Davis, who is the producer and director of an outstanding documentary on Number Nine's life. It's part of the American Masters series coming up on PBS on July 23rd at 9 p.m. Nick Davis, how are you? I'm very good. Thanks for having me. And yes, indeed, the man had a lot of nicknames. Yes, he did. (laughs) He did. Do do you have a favorite, Nick? Uh, Well, the only... I I love them all. I love the the thumper, actually, and the splendid splinter, uh, the kid. Um, But the one that he really wanted, and it's not so much a nickname as as just an appellation, I guess, is uh, he wanted to be known as the greatest hitter who ever lived. And and that's our subtitle, Uh, Ted Williams, quote, the greatest hitter who ever lived, because he was totally obsessed with hitting and, um, uh, you know, to the exclusion of really all else. Yeah, that sort of uh, impacted him as a manager. He really didn't care about the defensive side of the game, as we learn um, in the documentary. He was sort of like, just, just hit, just hit. Yeah, no, he, 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 he didn't care much. And in his early days as a player, uh, you know, legend has it that he would be out there just practicing his swing in left field, um, which is, you know, it's not really what you're supposed to be doing. Um, but he, you know, he was, he was utterly, uh, devoted to his craft and, and it's interesting. Yes. You know, the film is part of the American master series and 
he is the first male athlete in over 200 films that they've made in over 30 years, uh, the first male athlete they've ever done. Um, and I think it's really fitting because he was, you know, they, they've usually done artists and writers and painters and scientists and stuff. And he was, he was like an artist or a scientist. He had that level of, of devotion and also complexity as an individual. So I'm curious, how did you pitch it, you know, pitch the Ted Williams story to American Masters, given that they haven't done an athlete? But more than that, as John was mentioning earlier, there are there's so much information out there about Ted Williams. So much has been written, so much has been said and done about his career, both on the field and in war. I mean, the whole the whole you know, and, and later in life with the fishing. I mean, everything. So how did you say, hey, listen, I've got some unique stuff or I'm going to frame this in a, in a really unique way? And also as, as producer-director, was that a concern, being able to bring something new to the table? Well, it's, it is always a concern when you're, you're you know, uh, swimming in waters that have already been swum in, I guess. Um, but um, it was my feeling, and I haven't watched all the Ted Williams documentaries that have been made over the years, but, but because it was American Masters, it actually was sort of liberating um, from feeling like, okay, this is a sports story. Um, this is not a sports story. This is a, a portrait of, you know, portrait of an athlete as, a, as, a, as an artist um, and as a master. And so, you know, yes, we certainly, I hope, uh, you know, we, we, we do more than touch on his baseball career, and we, we hit all the high points of his baseball career. And I'm a huge lifelong baseball fan, so it was an absolute joy to get to tell those stories again, but to tell them from the point of view of, okay, yeah, but who was he really, and what was really going on inside him? Yes, we know he went into the last game of the 1941 season at 399.5, or we do if we're obsessed baseball fans, uh, and that he decided, no, I'm not sitting out. I'm going to play, and and play he did, and went six for eight, and raised the average to 406. That's something that you know a, a young baseball fan knows that story, but they don't necessarily know what went into it and wh- who is who is the man who makes that decision. And so it was it was that that appealed to me as a filmmaker and getting to tell the story not just of of the myth, which is amazing and wonderful. Uh, and fun to revel in, but uh, but of the man behind the myth, and getting at that, and getting viewers to sympathize and feel with this very complicated man who was, you know, nasty and and you know at times very cruel and and uh, you know mean to the fans and and had huge legendary fights with the press. Um, you know, he refused to tip his cap to the fans to acknowledge their love of him. But, um, but if you get into the story and, and really figure out who he really was, you start to understand who that man was who made those decisions. Yeah, as you uncovered uh, many of the complexities of Ted Williams' life throughout your many interviews, and you did a terrific job in terms of talking to so many people, including his daughter, including the likes of Bob Costas, uh, what did you learn that really stood out to you in terms of why he was so angry? Why was he angry in his personal life at times? Why was he angry on the field? Why was he angry off the field? Well, what's fun about being a filmmaker is you don't actually have to be a psychiatrist or psych, you know, a psychoanalyst, um, but you can craft things in such a way to lead the viewer to understand 
you know, the answers to those questions. It's, you know, it, the film really uh, spends some time in his childhood and what went on there. Um, he had a, a mother who was devoted to not her kids. She had two boys, but the children of San Diego. And she was known as the Angel of Tijuana and, and was uh, deeply devoted to the Salvation Army and spent all her time uh, there instead of being at home, uh, being a mom to Ted or his brother Danny. And so they were kind of latchkey kids um, who had to fend for themselves and she also happened to be uh, Mexican. And so Ted faced and saw the results of prejudice at a very early age. Um, and his father was never around, a ne'er-do-well and a drunk and a one-time pickle salesman. And, and so he really had to raise himself and his, and his younger brother and found himself uh, on the athletic fields uh, and specifically hitting. He found this one thing that he was really good at and he loved to do, and he just poured all of his energy and his rage into that. Um, and his, his anger, he always said he hit better when he was mad. And, and I think, uh, although the film doesn't say it explicitly, <laughs> you know, but I do believe that that, that anger came from uh, deep things in his childhood. And he wouldn't talk about it. We have a clip from a Bob Costas' interview that he did on later with Bob Costas in 1993, and all he says is, yeah, there were things there, and Costas says, well, people theorize he had an unhappy childhood, and William says, yeah, there were things there, there were things there. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't go into it. He wouldn't talk about it. And uh, Claudia, in our film, we asked her, and she said, yeah, I would ask him. I would say, like, geez, Dad, you know, what, what was it like? And he, you know, and he, 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 wouldn't, he wouldn't talk about it. He didn't want to talk about it. Um, so he didn't talk about his parents, and he never... He never mentioned the fact that he was Mexican um, or, you know, half Mexican. And, and, uh, and I think that that uh, – but I think that was like a knot inside of him that was driving him on. In terms of Claudia and his son, who, of course, has passed away, uh, what did you learn about their relationship with him? Uh, well, I, that – was really interesting because I think I had I read when I was a kid Ted Williams autobiography uh, My Turn at Bat and in there he says as a husband and his father I struck out um, and he you know he owned up to the fact that he hadn't been a, a good father certainly to his first uh, daughter uh, and he had three marriages and, and uh, they all failed uh, or ended in divorce and um he uh, so I went into it thinking, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. See what Claudia said. Claudia loved him, and and the warmth that she felt for him, and the warmth that she described from him towards her and towards John Henry was very surprising. I think that late in life he felt he really he was trying to make up for lost time and and for time away, and. He wasn't really equipped. I wouldn't say he had like great emotional uh, intelligence, as we say now. Um, but he he loved those kids, and he did everything he could for them, uh, including, as some would say, you know, sort of giving the keys to his kingdom uh, to John Henry, his son, who he let run the memorabilia business, and who may or may not have exploited his father. Um, but 
um, so the, the, the depth of their relationships were very interesting, and, and the intensity of the feelings there were, were uh, interesting to explore. You say that that surprised you, the depths of the feeling that Claudia had for her father. Was there any other piece of information that you came across? I mean, you're this diehard baseball fan, you know, so you, and you know Ted's story very well, but was there any other piece of information that you came across that really surprised you or, you know, was something just completely unexpected as you're going through what I'm sure is reams and reams of information and footage um, that comes with Ted Williams? Well, you know, yeah, there are a couple things. I mean, one, just I, I baseball fan though I was, and maybe this is, you know, maybe a kid today reading the all about Ted Williams kind of kids book, it would describe that his mother was Mexican. Uh, the, the equivalent book in the 70s when I was growing up didn't. So I never knew he was Mexican until I began this project. And I think that that was, that was just like a big, fascinating eye-opener to consider his whole career in a somewhat different light. Um, and then um, I also, you know, I knew that he was deeply involved with the Jimmy Fund. But again, I think that you sort of have this idea of like, yeah, sure, I'll be involved with the Jimmy Fund. He was really involved. He really cared. And he would, Claudia describes, you know, going to the hospital with him and he would leave and he would just be furious that these kids were sick. And he'd be cursing God for allowing this pain to be inflicted on the, on the lives of these kids who've done nothing wrong. Um, and then we had a uh, an interview with the late Dick Enberg. I, I think it may have been his last interview, sadly, before he passed last fall. And he describes a scene where, you know, Ted would say to the reporters, if you write that I come to the hospital and see these kids, I'll stop doing it. So nobody knew about this, but this one time where he went in and this, you know, poor kid, sick child lying in bed holds Ted's finger and falls asleep holding Ted's finger. And Ted you know, doesn't want to leave and wake the kid up and doesn't want the kid to wake up and have Ted Williams be gone. So Ted motions for a nurse to wheel a cot over, and he lies down with the kid and, and spends the night there with the kid holding onto his finger the whole time. That's, wow. you know, I mean, that's incredible. That's extremely powerful. You must have been awed by that. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a crazy story and and so i think that like there are these just sort of contradictions and complexities when you get into his life that are just really uh, really surprising you know politically i i was aware i was you know uh, whatever i was when he you know he was a republican and he endorsed george w bush right before the new hampshire primary excuse me not george w george h w bush in 88, and, you know, some people said that's what turned that election around. Dole had won Iowa or did better than expected. And, um, but, and, and as Dick Flavin, the Red Sox poet laureate, describes in our film, you know, you think about Ted Williams in politics, he's to the right of Attila the Hun, except when it comes to civil rights. And so when Ted Williams, Republican icon, American hero, is inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1966. He 
gives a speech, and the Hall of Fame read the speech beforehand and said, Ted, we really don't want you to do this. <laughs> and Good luck with you know, that. You, you, don't tell, you don't tell Ted Williams what he can't do. So he gives a speech where he says that the greatest players in the Negro Leagues should be inducted into the Hall of Fame as well. Nobody had ever brought this idea up before. Nobody asked Ted to do it. Um, and if not for that, I'm sure it would have happened eventually, but it happened much, much faster that the Negro League players were inducted into the Hall of Fame because of Ted Williams. I had never known that story before. Do you dare enter Monsterland? You may not know that some 50 miles west of Boston sits what may be one of the most diverse and comprehensive paranormal locations in the world. If you listen to the Monsterland podcast, the secrets will be revealed to you. I'm Maddie Blake, actor, TV host, and believer, and I'm fortunate to be co-hosting the show with the author of the book known as Monsterland, Ronnie LeBlanc. Thanks, Maddie. Well, you said it, we're practically next door to the Lemster State Forest, a place that's had a decades-long list of strange phenomena, including UFOs, paranormal activity, Bigfoot, strange sightings, occult, and military activity. Absolutely. And Ronnie, on the Monsterland podcast, we'll be joined by a murderer's row of experts from all over the world to finally figure out if these claims belong in the myth or Monsterland files. So make sure you listen, binge, and believe as each chapter of our mysterious journey unfolds. You can find the Monsterland podcast on pod617.com, the mighty pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. Join the passionate fans who we're already hearing from. See you soon in Monsterland. Can we switch gears? I have just a, a question about your narrator, Mr. John yeah. Hamm. The great yeah. John Hamm. The great John Hamm. Thank you, John. John. Um, yeah. How did you rope John Hamm into this project? I know he's a Cardinals fan. So. He is a Cardinals fan, but uh, it was my feeling that we wanted somebody who was had that you know, strong... Uh, almost like an association with 20th century American masculinity and nobody better than John Hamm for that. Or Don and Draper. he's got an depending. incredible voice. <laughs> so um, there was no, there was no uh, secret to it. It's like, how do, you ask, how do you get that beautiful girl to go with you to the dance? You ask her. We asked, and he said yes, uh, almost instantly. And, uh, you know, it's PBS. There's not a lot of money in it for him. Um, but he is, as you said, a, a huge baseball fan. Um, a Cardinals fan, it's true. Um, but I felt like so long as we don't get a, a, a Yankee fan, like someone who's associated with a, you know, a, a, a rival team, we'll be okay. Um, and, and I wanted someone who would appeal to a national audience. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't feel like you know, getting a real strong sort of Red Sox angle was necessarily So, so Matt Damon... You know, ben the Wahlber the Wahlbergs off the list. Yeah, they're all, I mean, they're fantastic, and any of them would have been amazing, but I, the, the, the feeling was, you know, this, this is a national figure. This was a great American hero, and uh, let's, let's, go, let's go America. Building on that theory or that, that theme, Ted Williams always associated as a player as the John Wayne type uh, the original John Wayne, some called him John Wayne before John Wayne. 
Uh, did you get that feeling, kind of that cowboy mentality that he had, that every man, that rich man, that that yeah. uh, that uh, you know, he's the strongest man in the world. Did that did that come to you? There's nothing. Yeah, can't absolutely. Do. I mean, everybody who talked about him talked about him that way, and and he was well aware of it. And and you know, Costas tells a story that he was talking to Ted Williams and said, you know, you, you, you really are John Wayne. You're the guy that John Wayne played in all those movies. And Ted said, yeah, I know it. <laughs> you know, so I mean, Ted, Ted was, one of the things I love about him is he's so, he was very self-aware. Um, you know, he was like, you know, sort of like, you, you, we talk in the film of the difference between him and DiMaggio. He was the, the great rival to Joe DiMaggio. And the truth is, they were both, you know, they were both difficult men. But DiMaggio had this image, and he lived up to this image, and Ted was so guileless. It's like, what you see is what you get, you know? Like, yeah, he was a jerk, but he knew he was a jerk. And he knew he was a hero. And he, he didn't shy away from any of that. He was, he was utterly, uh, you know, unself-conscious in that way. And it, it makes for a, for a really wonderful uh, character to, to explore and study and have at the center of a movie. Nick Davis is our guest, the producer and director of Ted Williams, the American Masters series coming up on PBS July 23rd. Nick, it's fascinating to me. I'm a huge documentary fan. I love docs. I love docs of all walks of life. But whenever I'm watching a documentary, I'm thinking, how the heck did the director or producer put this thing together? What? How do you choose? That's what yeah. I always wonder. Like, how do you choose Especially, what to put in and what to As you mentioned earlier, Shira, with so much material yeah. at your disposal, how long does the process take? How do you write it? How does it creatively come to you? Because you had great uh, well, archival think, footage in there. You had some great it, archival it footage. What's that? You had some great archival footage, old yeah, footage I mean, of games what, and interviews. Yeah. What was what we were lucky enough to, to be the film was made in partnership with Major League Baseball, which really meant that for a flat fee, we had access to all of their archives, um, and so they we had you know hours and hours and hours that they sent us of of the Ted Williams. Um, Stuff you know, and 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 down to really minutia when we would be, say, gosh, you know, we really need something where, you know, you see Ted hit a little dribbler, you know, Ted not looking so good late in his life, and they would point us to what they'd already sent us, but just say, you know, here's some some stuff to look at. Um, so on the on the sort of archive front, there's that, and then also you just put the word out and you go to all the archive houses in in, in the country and and ask them what they have, and even internationally, we got some footage from England. But, um, uh, but in terms of the storytelling, what's really fun about it, and, and why I love what I do, is you, you get to just put it together and then watch it and keep watching it and keep taking out the stuff that's boring. And you, you, you keep just trying to uh, make it, you put yourself in the audience's uh, you know, point of view, and you're just watching it and watching it and watching it and watching it, trying to just give that emotional experience to the audience that will tell the story uh, best and most dynamically. And so anything that wasn't really about, um, anything that wasn't really getting at the heart of who Ted was, uh, we just doesn't, you know, we we just have to sort of fall away. I mean, it could be interesting that he, you know, I don't know, won the Triple Crown in 19, 
46 but didn't win the MVP that year. But if that story doesn't um, – and actually he did win the MVP that year. But, so, but you know, like, if there's a story that seems interesting from like a baseball perspective but it doesn't shed light on who he was as a man, then it's going to fall out. Um, because because we had so much to get to, and you know, luckily enough, in today's world, uh, you know, there's going to be a DVD, there's there's going to be uh, you know extras for the downloads, and we are including some outtakes that were just stuff we we loved but didn't have time enough to to include. Um, but the process is a wonderful and mysterious one. Nick. Nick, I'm just curious, you know, you mentioned earlier how his childhood, how Ted's childhood shaped him, and, and we're here in Boston, so I'm wondering how this city shaped him and his personality and the man that he became, because, you know, early in the film, you talk about how he was his rookie year, and he was a much different personality his rookie year. He was this effervescent, excitable kid um, in the locker room, just happy to be there almost and just wanting to get going and eager to please and and actually I believe if I'm recalling the film correctly he was doffing his calf is uh, doffing his calf yeah. never did. which he never yeah. did later so I'm wondering you know and you talk about wanting to know the man how did the city shape him because he really grew up as a Red Sox player yes, and in the city he did. It, it was incredibly important to, in, in shaping him and and he, you know, he was he loved baseball and he loved hitting. And when he got to Boston, he just he was the happiest kid on the block, and and had the time of his life. The thing about um, Boston at that time is there were nine newspapers, and wow, competing. <laughs> yeah. Now we've nine, got like one and, and a half. <laughs> one and a third. One and a third. Well, I, I, you said it, I not me. I don't know enough to comment, but I, <laughs> I think I know what you're referring to. But um, the so and and Williams was front page news. I mean, just anything he did, as as Bradley says in the film, if he belched, it would be on the first on the front page. Um, and he actually he had a great rookie year. The fans loved him. There'd never been anything like him. He was the greatest thing since Babe Ruth. And he gets off to a not great start. Uh, in the, his second year, and there start to be some boos. Not a lot of boos at Fenway, but just a few people. It was just like, hey, come on. And, uh, and meanwhile, the press starts to turn on him a little bit, and then uh, there's, there's sort of an inflection point or a turning point when a man named Harold Kayser, who wrote for one of the newspapers up there, um, wrote an article that at the end suggested that, you know, what kind of kid doesn't go home and visit his mom uh, after his rookie year. And Ted had, you know, gone fishing and hunting and stuff uh, in the rookie year. And Ted thought that crossed the line. And from then on, from that moment on, he decided, that's it. I'm not going to tip my cap to these guys anymore. Uh, and he, I, he used that. Um, and, you know, Claudia tells us that he, you know, he hit better mad, and he used that as fuel to to drive him and and I think that he got in a, a sort of situation in his head where he thought this is how I can succeed is if I have this complicated contentious relationship with the fans with the press with the whole city of Boston and I never show them 
you know, that I appreciate the love that they give me, and I just use the few booze that I hear to drive me forward. So I think, you know, it's complicated, um, but I think that, that Boston shaped him uh, to be a somewhat surlier player than, than he might have been otherwise. But then again, I think he need. I think he was going to probably do that no matter what happened, no matter where he played. Um, he he loved to feel aggrieved and like he had been wronged. Um, so in in a lot of stories, again and again, there's this feeling of you know. And he'd even say, "I'm not going to bitch about it," you know. Well, but you kind of are bitching about it by saying that, and and yet that's what drove him, and that's what drove him on to work so obsessively and be such a, a dynamic, incredible hitter. Out of the many layers of his life, unfortunately, at the end of his life, as we touched on a little bit, it was, there was so much drama. There were so many issues. There were so many... Uh, I think people in Boston especially were so sickened by what was happening. Well, with especially at the, the 1999 All-Star Game. The 1999 All-Star Game, All-Star game you know, was, was... When he was sort of paraded of, out That was out his there. famous final scene. Right. When he was paraded out there, everybody was glad that he was there. But I remember the cap and the promotional aspect of it. Yeah, it, it was hitter.net. Yes. Uh, it, there was a lot of stuff there going on that, from a commercial standpoint. It didn't family, sit well with, with the purists. Right, and his that, family was know. trying to capitalize on, capitalize on Nick. But how deep did you go with Claudia and anybody else in terms of the cryogenics issue and the cryogenically frozen Ted Williams? And I know Claudia, there's a clip saying she thinks they may see him again. Did you dive deep into that issue? Well, yes and no. I mean, I think in terms of the hitter.net thing, what I will say in, in defense of John Henry on that uh, and in defense of the family is he wasn't going to go. He went to that all-star. He, 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 and we tell in the film, Peter Sutton, the family lawyers, said he didn't want to go. He had, you know, Dick Flavin tells us he had two strokes. He wasn't getting around. He didn't want to be paraded out there in a wheelchair. The way, the way he was, you know, he, he'd had his goodbye in the 91 Ceremony. He felt like he'd done it. He'd, he'd said his goodbye to the Boston fans, and, and, and he didn't really want to go to the All-Star game. And then the family lawyer tells him, you know, you're getting a lot of offers if you would go and wear this uh, logo of some company or other. You'd rake in a lot of money. And he said, oh, wait a minute. If I wore my son's logo for his company, would that help my son? Yes. Well, then I'll go. I'll do it for my son. So he only went to that because of, of, of John Henry. So, yes, it, it's a little – it can make you think, oh, come on. You shouldn't be doing that. It would be great to see you in a Red Sox hat. Mm-hmm. But, um, but that's, that's why he went. And then that scene turns into an incredible, unprecedented display of warmth from other players. Who it was, they were naming the all-century team, and they all just gathered around him. And they wouldn't leave him. They just wanted to be in the presence of the great Ted Williams. The PA announcer is saying, would you please leave the field? And they're not, they're not going. So I, I, I can there. certainly understand Boston fans feeling like, you know, resentment over, over the, the hitter.net cap and all of that. Uh, but I also think that it's only because of that that Ted decided to go and that therefore we have this incredibly emotional moment, one of the most emotional moments you're ever going to see on a baseball field. Um, so that's that's in defense of the family. So Turning seeing, to the cryonics or cryogenics, um, I you know this is a PBS hour. 
you could make a fantastic feature film just about the cryonics affair uh, or, or, you know, or, or feature-length documentary. I didn't have time to explore all the nuances and the ins and outs. All I was interested in is what did Claudia think they were doing? And so we do go into it, and Claudia, she's a very smart, wonderful, humane woman who was present in the film, I think, adds enormously to the film, and who you feel in her spirit and in her just delivery, you feel Ted Williams in her, and that's one of the most amazing things. She's also very strong. She tells us that, he, you know, yeah, we all know this is absurd and a tremendous long shot, but if there's a chance of maybe it working, you know, a thousand years ago, if you'd said, yeah, and you'll be able to fly from one continent to the other and you'll have a little device in your hand and you can get all the information in the world at, you know, at your fingertips, you'd have been burned at the stake. So who knows what a thousand years from now might be possible. And so if there's a chance, you know, we'd like to try. I think that Ted Williams also saw what his mortality was doing to John Henry and Claudia and how upset they were and how much they wanted this to, to happen. And so he said, the hell with it. If it means that much to you, I'll do it. I could hear him saying that. Yeah. <laughs> the, it sounds like there's like a theme running throughout, which is just sort of with Ted Williams and, and for that matter, a lot of very famous people who, who have mixed public images. You kind of have to take the good with the bad. You know, I mean, the hitter.com oh, yeah. with, you know, the, the reception that you get at Fenway Park, the kind of craziness at the end of life with all that preceded. I mean, it's, it's a common the theme. Flaws. But yeah, it's a common theme, right. but it seems like it's writ large with Ted Williams because there were so many extremes. You know, you have the Jimmy Fund image and then you have sort of the, the reticence with the fans in Fenway Park. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, his that that the final scene in in our film, or one of the you know after after he's gone, is we bring back that ninety one ceremony where he at long last finally says, "Look, I know you know they, they, I don't want them to ever say again that I was stubborn and hard headed, and or they can never say again that I never tipped my cap." And he very graciously and and beautifully tips his cap to the fans in, in New England. Um, He's a, you know, he's a very complicated man, but I've, I've come to really, you know, uh, appreciate and love him uh, in a way that I really didn't uh, think I would. It's amazing as we've had this conversation and we haven't even touched on his war experience, not that we'll get into it, but I mean, there are just, it's unbelievable how many layers there were to Ted yeah. Williams. Yeah, no, he was. I mean, he—he's—we we haven't touched on the on the uh, on the war or the fishing. He is mm -hmm. in two fishing halls of fame, mm -hmm. and he's in the pilots' hall of fame for being an incredible combat pilot. He fought 39 combat missions in in Korea. Uh, you know, no less a, a wingman uh, to, to, John, to Glenn. John Glenn, who said he was one of the best pilots he'd ever seen. John Glenn said that, <laughs> and you know, he goes fishing, and and uh, he's. You know, he's one of the greatest fishermen who ever lived. Yeah, that was a great insight from Claudia, I thought, with the fishing logs, just how meticulous he was about what he caught, where he caught it, what was in the, the fish's stomach, so that he could kind of improve and improve and improve. And, you and you know, you talk about getting insights into the man. I thought through fishing, you got a lot of insights into the meticulousness of Ted Williams in his yeah. approach to everything in his life. Yeah, that's a great point, because I 
thought. I went into this thinking, yeah, sure, you've got a fish, and then you can relax. You sit by the lake, you throw a thing. I mean, not for Ted it, Williams. It, <laughs> not for Ted Williams, and you know, you do not want to go fishing with Ted Williams. It's not, you know, it's not the fun. It's not a of hobby. Easy, relaxing kind of thing. It's like it's he turns everything into an intense endeavor and a, and a and a competition with himself. Like how many, how good can I get, and how many fish can I catch? Um, it's uh, it was very very interesting. Yeah, it's certainly been an interesting conversation. We can't wait to watch the full documentary on PBS along with the rest of the audience. July twenty third, American Masters. Nick Davis, you have been outstanding. What is next on your plate? Do you have a new documentary project coming up? I I do. It is too early to talk about, but it's uh, it's uh, a new pitch is coming down the pipe, as they say, and uh, I'm 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 excited uh, about that as well. Sports or non-sports? Uh, well, actually, there are two. One is sports, and one is non-sports. All right. Excellent. Good tease. We look forward to it. Either way, <laughs> great job with the Ted Williams American Masters, and again, thank you for your time. Thank you so much. It was, it was great being here, and thanks for having me. Not bad for a Mets fan. Uh, well, thank you. <laughs> I, my, my line on that, as I, I said again and again to Red Sox fans who would say, what, what are you doing? What's a New Yorker doing telling this story? Is, you know, notwithstanding 1986, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I come in peace. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do your hero uh, no harm. He's no doubt doing this interview right now wearing a Mookie Wilson jersey. <laughs> <laughs> right under the picture of the ball getting through Buckner's leg. Uh, nice. Uh, right, nice. Where were you, Nick? We have to leave you with this. Where were you that night? Uh, I was uh, I was actually up there. Uh, I went to Harvard, and so I was watching, oh, uh, I was watching in my uh, dorm room and uh, jumping around with my, my sweet mates who were all Mets fans. Um, and then, you know, so I interviewed uh, for this film, I, we interviewed Boggs, Wade Boggs, and he was a terrific interview about Ted and everything. And I asked him at one point, you know, what's it like never winning the World Series? You know, what, you know Ted never won a World Series. You didn't win a World Series with, with Boston. And, what, you know, what's all that all about? And the next thing I knew, he was talking about the 86 Series and how he was crying on the bench. And obviously this is not germane to the Ted Williams film, but it was, as a Mets fan, it was fascinating uh, to listen to. Yeah, Boggs will always have that, that, that photo of him crying on the bench. I was going to say, another documentary uh, you know, potential there, more documentary uh, potential. Wade there. Boggs would be an interesting subject. That, yes, yes, talk about yeah, layers. Yeah. Fascinating guy, fascinating. <laughs> fascinating on and off the field. Yes, no doubt. Just ask Barbara Walters. <laughs> 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 Nick, thanks again, and good luck with the projects. Thank you, both of you. Talk thanks, to you Nick. All right, thanks. take care. Bye. Well, you know, I haven't been fishing often, Shira. <laughs> I can tell you if I do catch a fish, now I will check the contents <laughs> of its stomach. And you'll log it meticulously in whatever fishing <laughs> log book you're going to start, right? He is. Was there anything Ted Williams was not good at? No, and I think it just what was interesting to hear from Nick was just this drive for exceptionalism. I mean, he he wouldn't settle for anything less, and you know, it started in childhood and then fueled by what he, you know, how he was treated in Boston. It's just this, and he just couldn't let it go. I mean, it, it's a fascinating personality um, to cover, and just so much there to and, to mine. And see, that's what 
Amazing, huge baseball fan. I know you're a big fan as well. We are at David Yaz, our producer. We I was all actually grew up a Mets fan. I was oh, curious boy. about the whole Wade Boggs thing on the bench. I mean, that was I, honestly <laughs> falling I th- on the bench. Yeah, but I mean, you know, just hearing his behind the scenes. I mean, I, seriously, I think that there is. I, I would, I would like to see maybe not an hour, but you know, there, there's some of there, us were bawling at home. <laughs> there is a, there should be a Wade Boggs documentary. I think we're onto something there, Dave. Yeah, uh, I agree, and. He not notwithstanding the fact that we found out a lot in a recent episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Did you guys catch it? Wade Boggs famously had, um, according to legend, consumed commonly consumed thirty beers Correct. on on a you know East Coast to West Coast uh, plane ride. Yep. And the boys exceptionalism right there. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> excellence. That's uh, that's driving top, to be the very best top of the podium. But the the. The you know no good um, gang from sunny in Philadelphia tries to um, uh, uh, mimic this. tries to tries to match Boggs's record on a flight, and Boggs actually shows up on the show and on the flight. And so, <laughs> but um, I, I'll, at least I, he has a sense of humor about it, right? I agree. But but one thing that um, I always remember about Boggs is there was a season. It might have been one of the. Kevin Kennedy seasons or something, or or maybe it was the Bernanski catch. Who remembers the Bernanski catch? And I forget if that was eighty-eight or ninety, right around. It was ninety. Nineteen ninety. Okay, so they they win the AL East pennant on the last day of the season. Bernanski famously catch sliding and catching the ball in right field. Great call by Sean McDonough. Yeah, Bernanski. And. Boggs later um, was seen celebrating like crazy. Uh, he got, I think he got up on the horse at one point, maybe. <laughs> that um, I remember seeing. And then he said, he was quoted in the Globe the next day, this, this, I love these fans. This city has as hard as big as the Prue, right? Um, flash forward to when he wins the World Series with the Yankees, he's quoted in the paper saying, uh, the city has the greatest fans, heart as big as the World Trade Center. Um, still standing at the time, of course. So the guy had no soul. I'm sorry. He's a go from city to city, insert name of tall building. Come on. <laughs> but, Come on. But he was a classic mercenary. But, 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 but subject of a good documentary. I just. Oh, no question. And the, know, super, I mean, the superstitions. Yeah. And if everything. Nick Davis doesn't do it, I think we should do it. Yes. That's, a, that's our next project. Put, next that project? In the, put that in the pipe. All right. I'm in. As long as we don't have to drink with Wade on a cross-country flight. Yeah. And it was something like Budweiser or Bush, too. Oh. It wasn't even good beer. I think that is correct. He, he told us on WEI <laughs> cheap, that that, that, that was true. Yeah. I don't think he was 30, but it was at least 24. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't deny it. He he, no. he kind of soft pedaled it a little bit, but he never. He hasn't denied it. Yet. Well, you got to yeah. appreciate the honesty, right? And the, and then the Mar- Margot Adams thing. I mean, uh, sort of ahead of his time in terms of being, you know, exposed as as okay, a that's philanderer. One, that's one way of looking at it. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously for, for <laughs> foresight, the, forth, you know, I mean, yeah. Oh yeah. But isn't there something in this in the Twitter era? Isn't there something almost? Um, uh, strange about the fact that the the he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated and remember it said what me worry Wade Boggs rides out the turmoil over his love life and you know he said he was addicted to sex and all that I mean I remember I talked that was to, also you know prescient because that's now become popular as well right but but now it's and a popular I, excuse that is well he's only human <laughs> yeah well I just think of a, a player cheating on their wife uh, sadly is no longer. Big news, is it? Oh, no, no, right? no, no, no. I mean, well, what's, what's, what, remember there was like a Yankees... It's almost news Yan- if they're not cheating right. on right. What was that, yeah. the Yankees teammates? What was the um, the deal with they, they cheated up with Swap each other's wives? wives? Yeah, yes, that yeah. was in the 70s. Yeah. Eckersley oh, did that, too. Yeah. Dennis Eckersley did that with Rick Manning. Wow. 
they they swap partners. Yes. Is that true? Yes. I didn't know yeah. that. It wasn't wasn't you know, we can bring this full circle. Wasn't sure. Matt Damon supposed to star in that movie? Damon and Affleck. Yeah. You're right. I just I just yeah, so, they scrapped the project for some reason. I thought that sounded like a great Instead of doing the, you know the narration for the Ted Williams documentary, <laughs> they, they were busy they were busy swap. working on the, the wife swap hey, story. Th- yeah. I, again, there it, Wade Boggs is an onion. We can we can just no peel problem. it here mm. on the meter is running. Sure. Yes, we should get him as a guest. Well, we, we, we can do that. We know people. That's a good tease, too. <laughs> know but, people who know people. But the thing about Ted Williams, too, is if you write something about him or if you make a documentary about him, guys like us. Even when you like know you, a gonna, lot about him, you still you are still curious. Yeah. Right. Even, yeah. Like I mentioned the Jane Levy book on Babe Ruth. I've read a lot about Babe Ruth, but yeah. I love Jane Levy. She was outstanding. Her book on um, Co- Kovacs yeah. was incredible. I will read that book. Yeah. Even yeah. though you, you, think, you think you know everything Same. about Bear Ruth, you'll probably find something you don't know, right? Exactly, exactly. There's always a little nugget, a little gem buried in there. Journalism 101. It, journalism 101. Even when I hear it now, I, I it's hard to believe that he missed the better part of five seasons in the middle of his career to to serve in to be in the service, and it, it just doesn't happen. It's unfathomable to like to this generation to think about something like that, right? Yeah, I mean that that that's how the the documentary starts with sort of a look back on on the time he missed, and it's a fascinating, you know, it's just a it's a real good way to kind of take you back in time, mm-hmm. because it's like ah, we are in a very besides you know the 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 the, the old footage, it, it speaks to being of a different era and of baseball players and Ted Williams in particular being of a different mindset and a different character. If J.D. Drew had only known <laughs> that Ted Williams Are you suggesting he, was, five years. he didn't quite have the masculinity and timber of, of Ted Williams? I'm uh, suggesting that, yes, that is correct. But I'm still, I mean, I, I, get, I, I, I love hearing just about his, pilot, his time as a pilot. I mean, that is just, it's just unbelievable that you can be that exceptional in Forget the fishing part. I mean, the fishing is interesting, but I find that oh, those those the, two the, the fact very that John difficult. Gr- John Glenn yeah. called him the, the best he's he's flown with. Yeah. And can you, how how did how long does it take to train to learn how to do that? That's what I didn't get. Does, uh, shouldn't there be like a year long? Well, I think he trained. I think he trained in you know, the service. In the service, I think there was some training during World War II, and that he didn't. He you know sort of ran out of time. It all came. And then, I think it all yeah, yeah, yeah. physiologically, it's hand eye coordination. Yeah. The, yeah, when, when you have 2015, so was it 2015 yeah. eyesight? You know, mm-hmm. it helps. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I can appreciate that, <laughs> Mr. Laser Vision over here. Wow, <laughs> fancy. John Meter, I think of you as a modern day Ted Williams. Well, thank you. You. Yes. you know, you could be Great the new tomorrow, man. Did you ever see me at fun and games? Play those flying games. <laughs> With the joysticks. <laughs> Are you referring to the old fun and games in, on Route 9? Yes, in I am. Oh, the legendary Which, by the way, still story. exists. Does it really? But it's not the same. Oh, how could it be? How could it be? I'd share it growing up in Connecticut. We didn't have fun and, no fun, fun and fun games, games in Connecticut. No, no. fun and games, period. A stone's throw from period. West Hartford. Period. No it, fun and games. Oh, uh, yes. But, hey, you know, that was tremendous to speak to Nick. We look forward to more fun. And, uh, and Mitch Goss on the meter is running here on... The Boston Podcast We'll be doing Network. an entire uh, show in Yiddish in the future. Oh, boy. Well, that would be a challenge. <laughs> uh, I, I'd maybe get one word in, and then I'd be I done. think we've, we've already got that word, right? Yes, that's it. Michigas is, is the only <laughs> one that I could go with. You, on the other hand, yeah, I know you could carry the whole show. Zygazund. Yes, Zygazund's another good one. My grandmother used to say that. Takes me back, Dave. Zygazund to all of you out there. Look it up. Google it. But for sure, Springer, I'm John Mita Perel, producer. David Yaz. Don't forget to please subscribe to us on iTunes, 
And also check out pod617.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. The meter is running. Have a great day, everybody, and thanks for listening. I only had one nickname, but we can't get into that right now. <laughs> <laughs>